The limiting factor is not resources, for they are plentiful, but knowledge, which is scarce. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer behind the scenes, Marcus Sassen. This quote leads us into our guest today, Jordan Nuzma. Jordan is currently a sports performance coach at Elon University and has spent time at the University of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Concordia St. Paul. I found Jordan through a PowerPoint that was sent to me on an NSCA conference talk he gave on sports movement through the eyes of an athlete, which I thought they did an amazing job of breaking in on the sport and questioning if what we're doing in the weight room is really going to affect how the athlete performs on the field. Today, we kind of dove deep into there and talked about the constraints-led approach, the importance of the game and breaking it down, and how as a strength coach, we can kind of bridge the gap between what's traditionally been done and what can be done to help the athlete improve. We broke down a lot of small games and talked about this. And Jordan wanted me to tell you guys that on his YouTube page, there's a bunch of videos of any examples that he's talked about. So instead of trying to scribble everything down and scribble down where the cones are and kind of explain it that way, Jordan has a bunch of videos. He has a thousand videos on there. So if you guys want any examples of some of the small sided games that he talked about, it's all on his YouTube page. I hope you guys get a lot out of this podcast. And if you do, it'd be really helpful for the podcast and kind of where we're trying to shoot for and push forward with this podcast. If you guys had a chance to rate it on iTunes. So the ratings really what fuels this podcast so if you guys think it's earned it that'd be awesome if you guys took the time out of your day to to rate it so thank you guys for listening let me know if you guys have any feedback anything that you guys want covered in the next podcast and hopefully you guys get something out of this Thanks for being on the podcast, Jordan. I'm super excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's awesome. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, how you kind of got into the world of sports performance and where you're from originally, some passions and facts about you? For sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'm originally from Minnesota, where I grew up, been there for 20-something years, and then now I'm down here at Elon, North Carolina. So the path that I kind of took to get to Elon University was started way back in high school to pique my interest in sports performance where I played sports, but had no gym at my high school or anything like that. So I had to train myself, had to figure out ways to get better. And so that kind of came on my own. And then during high school as well, started training at a performance gym with a, a guy named Dr. Luke Jacobowski, who again, piqued that interest and just showed me that there was a lot more out there to learn. And then from there, when I went to school during my undergrad, I got to intern for the University of Minnesota and the, the Gophers football team there. That's where I really just developed this passion for college football and college sports and, and learning from super great guys there and Dustin Perry and Shay Thompson and Chad Pearson and Coach Klein and all those guys. And they just really were there to answer a lot of questions, fed that passion and just helped it continue to grow. And then from there, went on to Concordia St. Paul, where was the assistant, helped out with football and a couple other teams was there for a couple of years and then went over to intern with Cal Dietz at Minnesota and Corey Peterson go for hockey and, and that kind of stuff and get to learn more about triphasic and just all the crazy stuff that they're doing there and just opened my mind up to a lot more, which is super cool. And just the, the sports science side of things and how they just are always diving in and trying to learn more. And then from there went to university of Wisconsin where I got to help out with their football team, work with their football team. And then from there, got hired down here at Elon University back in October 2018. So I've been here now a year and a couple months and have enjoyed every minute of it. I get to work with football, men's soccer. I get to work with golf and tennis as well. So it's it's an interesting mix being at the FCS level where we're all involved with football and we treat it like a, a power five school, but we also have other schools teams on top of that. So it's been about seven years now I've been working in sports performance and then been at eight different places throughout that time. A couple 
PT settings and a couple chiropractic club volleyball as well. So kind of a, a, a wide variety of division one, division two, and then private setting as well. So Gotcha. Yeah. So you yeah. kind of have a whole hodgepodge of experience from here to there and kind of all over the place. Yeah. It's been super cool. Just learning from clinical side or learning from a division one football side or from a private setting, just how to make athletes better, pretty much working with all different kinds of sports and just taking and stealing things from all over the place. And there hasn't been a place where I haven't stolen something from. So it's all, all been good, good experiences and really helped me just to grow and learn for sure. Yeah. So in one of our last uh, podcasts, we talked about uh, the gray area and kind of being able to blend the black and whites from the, these specific spots. And I kind of want to talk about how you have developed that mindset in yourself to being able to, okay, I like that. I'm going to use that in my trade, or I don't like that, but I'm still learning from that to where a lot of people kind of get stuck in. I've read this book. This is the only way to right. go. And th- yeah. there's no other way around. So where has that kind of mindset came from? And has there been any moments where you've been stuck in that way? And you're like, Oh shit, there are multiple options for all this. For sure. For sure. Yeah. There's I've definitely earlier on, you know, learned from those first couple of people. And I was like, this is the only way to do it. Like, let's just copy what they do and repeat it over and over again. The more that I've learned, the more that I've been able to take and steal from other places. And so I'd say the biggest thing is just continuing to learn, continuing to broaden those horizons. The easiest way to think outside the box is to make your box bigger, right? So continuing to learn, continue to grow, but then developing a a framework and developing principles that go back to research, go back to different things that allow you to develop your own system, but it gives you the freedom to continue to add to that system and not lock you in. And I'd say that's a dangerous thing in strength and conditioning sometimes where someone develops their system and they think their system is the only way to do it. But the problem is they, they limit themselves on how much more there is out there. So I think having that structure, having that, those principles are are really key, continuing to just leave that, that room for growth in there to always challenge those principles and always build upon them as well. Yeah. I think it's uh, Judd Logan that says 90% of what I do is set in stone. Uh, mm-hmm. but I spend 90% of my time trying to find that other 10%. So I think that, sure. that's awesome. Like it's not just a, in the sense, hodgepodge of you're just taking things and like you say, stealing them and just throwing them out at your athletes. Like, right. let's try this today. But it's like, you have your foundations and here's something that could push us forward. For sure. For sure. So with this, so we're seven years and we have these eight different spots. I kind of want to talk about the, the journey and mindset and kind of all this challenges and struggles that I'm sure you had to face to get there. So a lot of people that they see you where you're at today and they're like, Oh, that person got lucky. That person knew somebody, something like yeah. that, but kind of eliminating the mindset of that overnight success. Can you, can you talk about some of the mountains that you've had to climb to get to where you're at, especially through this long journey? Yeah, absolutely. Like I feel very fortunate. I feel like I have the best job in the world. I get to work with great athletes every single day and I get to help them get better. And I know coming into this field, I was like, Oh, that like, there's nothing cooler than working in a sports performance setting or working with a team and just the Aurora aura of that, I guess. (laughs) And then, um, just was very enticing for me. But the thing that I would say is it just takes so much hard work, so much delayed gratification. You're going to put in countless hours, countless free work to get to that point. And then just developing that discipline constantly, making sure that learning is part of your daily routine. And then this is an ongoing process, but continuing to humble yourself and realize it's not about you. It's about the people that you're trying to help. And so whether it be the staff that you're on, the staff that you're interning under the athletes, it's, it's not about you. It's about just helping other people around you get better. And that would be the biggest piece of advice that I would have as far as just understanding what you're getting into and knowing that it's going to take a lot of those things. 
For sure. So what you talked about the, the daily learning, is there some habits that you do to make sure you're getting your daily learning in? For sure. For sure. So one of the things is I, mo- or I married a very motivated person. So okay. uh, I feel like I'm pretty motivated, but she's even more motivated. So she's an amazing person. So having her making sure that we're getting each other up every day at five 30, actually, no, we get up at four 45. We start working out at five 30, but making sure we're getting up, working out together at that time. And then after that workout, sitting down, I spend 20 to 30 minutes, read my Bible and then spending 10 to 20 minutes reading sports performance every single day. So whether it be the book that I'm on or a podcast or something like that. And just the biggest thing that I found super helpful is not trying to read a whole book in a week, but just taking 10 minutes a day, those very achievable wins, those very small goals that anyone's got 10 minutes in their day to do something and just set that very low bar for doing something like that. And then you know, you're going to accomplish it. And most of the time you're going to exceed that. So if you have extra time, then you, maybe you get 45 minutes in or an hour, but always getting that 10 minutes of something that you're trying to get better at a day. Yeah. Making that consistent habit. And like you said, usually that grows into you're enjoying that reading, you're enjoying something like that and you're actually learning. And then it turns into that 30 minutes, which is, yeah, which is awesome for that. Yeah, for sure. So something that I like to uh, dive in with the coaches a little bit is uh, questioning your workout. So you talked about, you hit that five thirty workout. Are you training for something when you train? Are you kind of self experimenting with your stuff? Like what's your workout look like? Yep. So it's a couple things. Either I'm testing out a workout that I'm planning on doing with my athletes. I'm testing out something I've learned about or stolen from someone else just to try it out on myself, see how it feels, or I'm just trying to challenge myself. So picking something and setting a goal and trying to achieve that goal. For so sure. In the past, I've done different things as far as like trying to jump a certain height or trying to lift a certain weight or done a, a triathlon or different things like that. Uh, right now I'm trying to do full Nordic curls going all the way down, all the way back doing 10 yep. reps, no hands. So I'm, I'm getting pretty close to that, but just trying something that challenges me. I think if you just go through the monotony of just working out just to work out, it gets very boring. So finding something that challenges you is, is very important. I think to making it more fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so when you're going through this, um, kind of experimentation, like you said, you're trying stuff out for your athletes. Has there ever, uh, been a good story of something that you tried out with your at for your athletes? You're like, Oh no, this isn't it. Yes. Uh, I would say there's a lot of different, I know we want to talk about agility and different ecological dynamic stuff, but there's a lot of different drills or different things that I've tried out that I'm like, this is trash. I am not using this because <laughs> it just doesn't do anything. So, um, I would say I don't have a great story for you in particular, but a lot of different things that you see online, I guess that you're like, Oh, that looks cool online. But then you try it out and you're like, that did absolutely nothing. So, um, being pretty critical of, of things that you try is, is important for sure. Yeah. That's uh, like you said, you look at it on Instagram and you're like, Oh yeah, that, that's going to work. And yeah. you're like, Oh boy, that is, that, yeah. that's not it. Like so, I'm not even. <laughs> so uh, kind of transitioning into the, um, your philosophy behind everything. Uh, I first kind of met, not met, but heard of you through uh Stu sent me your PowerPoint uh, about breaking down the game and yeah. how can we work on agility drills and this type of thing and kind of get out of the world of ladders and even out of the weight room and trying to focus on our sport and get better at our sport. So can you kind of talk about your process and the importance of actually breaking down the game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's an area that's been very interesting for me because 
you have very different ideas of things that aren't very mainstream, but a lot of ideas that I've gotten from people are from Sean Mishka or Tyler Yearby or Corey Van Wick or um, Michael's Weifel. But then also I've gotten a lot of different ideas from like James Smith or Fergus Conley, Cam Joss, different people like that where some things overlap for sure, but they aren't necessarily on the same page about everything. So it's been interesting trying to weed through that. And so what I've kind of come to the conclusion on is using a lot of those principles that both sides have and letting the game be my guide. And so we're training for football, right? What does that athlete have to be good at in order for them to be on the field? And the game of football breaks down very simply into two main principles. And that is either you're trying to create space and create time. If you're on offense, if you're on defense, you're trying to eliminate space and eliminate time or take away time or put pressure on them to make their time or their space reduce. And by manipulating those different variables, you can kind of come up with a lot of different things. But when you're looking at the game as a whole, looking at the individual people and what their responsibilities are, their task and their skill of that position. And when I first was breaking it down, I thought it would be very complicated to, hey, what do they all have to be very, very good at? What does a running back have to be good at? Thinking, you know, there's a lot of different things, but really if you look at each position, it breaks down to two or three things for each position. So an example of that would be for an offense alignment, they have to be really good at two things for them to be on the field. And that's pass protect and run block. For a defensive back, they got to be really good at man coverage. They got to be really good at zone coverage. They got to be really good at pursuing to make a tackle. And if you get them good at those two or three things, they're going to be a very effective player on the field and be able to make a difference and help your team win. And so once you break down those main scenarios for each position, you can kind of break them down into different drills, movements, muscles, and all the way down as, as minute as you want to get. Yes. So when you're, you're, you're breaking down this, um, film, how, how are you going about, is this a big conversation with the sports coach of, all right, we're going to actually work on these things and not the the traditional squats or that type of thing. Are, is that a big conversation that you have to go through or how do you get that buy-in almost? Um, yeah, it's understanding what kind of tactically, what kind of team we want to be, whether we're a run power team, whether we're a spread team, whether we're a three, four, four, three, 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 five on defense and what are those main goals and what does each position have to do? Cause an outside linebacker and one, one format or one defense is going to have way different responsibilities than a, another outside linebacker and a, a three, four or something. So understanding that from the field aspect, from the tactical aspect, from the coaches, but then breaking it down as far as weight room goes of understanding that they have to be very, very strong in let's say lateral movements. If it's an offense or defensive line, being able to, push back at a 45 or drive down at a 45 and breaking it down in those different vectors of force. And then being able to come up with the exercises or the drills that train that the best. Okay. So when, when we're breaking this down and we're looking at a traditional day put together Mm -hmm. by you, what would that, what would that look like for you? Let's say we're breaking down an offensive lineman. What's his day when he comes into warm up to when he's leaving, what would that look like for him? Yep. So we'll take him through a, basically a, a general prep. So get them moving, get them mobilized and our warmups, we follow a ramp approach, which is pretty, pretty typical, but it's, you want to raise their elevation, their body temperature, their heart rate, get them moving, get them sweating. You want to, um, mobilize the key joints. You want to potentiate 
the muscles or potentiate the nervous system and activate the muscles. And then once we get to that potentiate part, we want to start to get them dialed into what they're going to have to do for their sport. Right. So they have to read an opponent. They have to put pressure on a defensive lineman. They have to, um, move their footwork in a certain position. So what that would look like would be having them hit certain angles as far as maybe an ISO hold or a push to move step and having them go like that, then adding a defender where they having to read that defender and making their movements based off of where they're going, like a simple mirror drill and stuff like that. And then having them get into the actual agility side of things in their workout which is where we would design their, their drills or their learning scenarios to replicate what they're doing in a game. So maybe it's a pass protection emphasis day. So they're going to have a trash can or something that they are trying to protect. You can have a defensive lineman or a linebacker coming from a different position. You can move the offensive lineman around from different positions to different positions, having them start in a split stance, uh, athletic position stance, uh, have them laying on their stomach. You can manipulate those variables however you want kind of thing. And then allowing them to be in that environment as much as possible of having to protect whatever they're trying to protect, protect that trash can and protect, defend that defensive player from getting to that trash can. So just putting them in the same scenario over and over again, but moving things around, moving different variables around to uh, getting them to be very adaptable in that scenario. Gotcha. And then are they transitioning into the weight room after that or what's that yep. next part of yep. the day? Look so like? we'll, we would hit our warm up, our speed or agility on the field. And then we would hit our lower body session. So lower body session is usually going to be a unilateral push, a bilateral push, as like block one would be unilateral block two would be bilateral. Um, and then in that first block, they might also hit a medicine ball toss where they're having to drive out at a certain angle, explode through the wall, and then maybe hitting a torso exercise as kind of their active recovery and going through that. And then same thing with the bilateral push and then hitting some accessory work after that. So as far as like perceptual action stuff, we don't do a ton of that in the weight room necessarily, but we are trying to improve the individual's output so that they do have a, a bigger and a broader movement bandwidth on the field where if you're stronger in a split squat position, you're going to be able to absorb and produce more force out on the field. Yeah, and we the, also, in the small game itself. Yep. Yep. So that's where we would prioritize that on-field work first and then hitting more of that strength stuff on the back end. So we set up our structure in a, a high-low fashion as far as how we um, periodize a week. So our every other day would be our high days. Every other day would be our low days. A high day would be, like we we're saying, a speed or agility focus and then coming in, in and hitting a lower body emphasis in the weight room. And then on the other days would be an aerobic focus on the field. And for a big guy or an offensive lineman, defense lineman, you would want to try and make that as specific to, again, the demands of their sport. So the thing that's going to make them most fatigued during the game is going to be that physical contact with another player. So we'll use something like sled pushes or grappling with another athlete or some sort of physically pushing someone else, manually resistance type of thing. 
as their aerobic work and using intervals that are similar to a work rest ratio of football and then transitioning in the weight room for some upper body work. So. For sure. So, um, when we're talking about speed here, um, are we using games to get them to full speed? Are we using reactionary sprints and that type of thing and just making the field in bigger space or are we yep. going more techniques like track work or how we, how are you splitting up the yep. speed work for you? Absolutely. So we do both. And okay. I think we've found a very good balance of both where if you only do games, you only do agility setting, learning scenario settings, you are going to not quite hit top end speed. And, but you are going to get that perceptual action benefit from it, that skill benefit from it. But if you're only doing track style sprinting, maximum recovery, no one's in your way, no one's bothering you, you're going to be able to hit that maximum output. Still there? Sorry. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You're going to be able to hit that maximum output and really improve that ceiling of your top end speed, but you aren't necessarily getting the perceptual cognitive benefit of that. So we, we do do both where right now in our off season schedule, our Monday and our Wednesday are going to be more that traditional speed emphasis where they're getting maximum output, maximum rest. We might resist it a little bit. We might, um, and then we'll follow a short to long progression with that. So they're building up over time, allowing their hamstrings and their tissue to adapt to it so that they can develop their maximum velocity. Then on Friday, we have a very focused perceptual cognitive day where they are doing games. They're doing agility drills. And then we finish with some aerobic tempo runs. So they get both as far as within a weekly cycle. And we feel like we found a really good benefit of that where we're, we're developing that physical side, but then we're also developing that perceptual cognitive side. No, I like that a lot. That's kind of something that I've been thinking about as well as we're, we're using the strength. We're getting that max strength output in the weight room, hopefully for it to transition on the field for those games mm -hmm. and trying to do the same thing with the max velocity, trying to get that max velocity, get that little bit of a stressor and input put in. Mm -hmm. So when we come back to the game, that max velocity has been there and we can hopefully increase that. Yep. Absolutely. So when, um, when you're doing these games, what kind of has been the, the effect for you? So a lot of times when you're, you're talking to a coach about doing these games and playing these small set of games, they talk about like not being able to test it, not being able to have something to give the coaches, not being able to show it. Has there been anything that you guys are like, all right, this is working. This is better. Like the players are noticing it. Yep. The coaches can see it on the field. Absolutely. Um, when it comes to our running backs and wide receivers evading a defender and our defenders, taking away that space and making them make a quicker decision. I'd say on both sides of the ball, we've been getting a lot better at that. So where we've used that and kind of the drills that we've done to, to improve upon that, I'd say the most important ones is our, our score learning scenarios. So it's a running back or an offensive player trying to score across a goal line could give them a, a 10 yard box or 20 yard box or different things. And then changing the variables where, we're throwing uh, one defender at them. We're throwing two defenders at them. We're throwing a couple obstacles in the way, mix up those variables, mix up where they're starting from and different things. But yeah, so I would say that has been our, our biggest improvement is seeing athletes and how they operate in open space and how they're able to make quicker decisions. And they just feel a lot more comfortable and confident in those decisions. 
For sure. So when you uh, talk about mixing up the variables, this is something that uh, maybe even more personally for myself, but how do you, how do you go about that? Like for the day, you're like, this is kind of the set amount of games that we want to try and go about, or is it, mm -hmm. you see this player struggling in this situation, but you have a hundred football players. So I don't know if you're noticing that with each person, like what's kind of your thought process there of like what games we're playing that day. Yep. So logistically, how we set it up is we'll always have three groups. So a coach will take each group and we'll split it up bigs, semis and skill. And so let's say I'm working with a skill that day. I'm going to have a scenario set up where we have three different scenarios that day. We're going to have a evade and score scenario. We're going to have a mirror scenario and we're going to have a like defend or uh, protect scenario. Okay. So picking your three different scenarios at the, the start of the day and throughout the, the workout cycle or the off season cycle. Right. And then kind of knowing where you're at in those weeks. So week one, it's going to be a very watered down version of it. Knowing that week eight, we want to have it a lot more complex, a lot more, a lot faster, a lot more open. And so we're going to have those three scenarios. We're going to know where we're at on the timeline. And then we're going to show up that day with that scenario. And then probably three or four different options off of that scenario. So we try and get as many people set up at the same time. So there's not lines, there's not waiting around where it's maybe four people per a box or three people per box. And you're just kind of filtering in and out. And so there's not a lot of standing around. And then we have them set up, we have them go for rep one and then everyone gets a rep at that rep one. And then we're back to the top. Then we'll adjust one of the variables. So we might throw in two defenders or we might have them start from a different position or we might have them adjust in some way so that they're getting that large amount of variety in that same scenario. Gotcha. I like that a lot. So something with the coaches. So uh, the, the sports coach, the head football coach comes to you and says, I want these things out of my off season. How are you going about that communication process with playing the games? Have you experienced it where you're with the sports coach? And cause this is a topic that I've had with a couple coaches now is talking about how they want to use these games, but the coach says they just want their players bigger, stronger, and yep. they don't understand why we're on the field playing a, a ball game, you know? Yep. So have you had that have having to had that conversation or kind of how do you go about that process? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're, they always have it with good intention, right? Like they want to get yeah. the team as good as possible and you have the same goal for the team. So coming to an equal ground on that and understanding where you're coming from and where they're coming from and then pitching it to them in a way that meets those goals. So if their goal is to get the team faster, to get the team um, more physical, to get the team, you know, better in some way, you're going to pitch it in a way that meets those goals off the front end. Okay. And then once you kind of have that initial pitching process, then when it comes to actually what you're doing, making sure you are meeting those results. If, okay, well, they want to get the team bigger in the weight room, you better get the team bigger, but yeah. it doesn't mean you have to work out for an hour and 45 minutes in the weight room. You still have time that you can be on the field. And then, putting it in there in a way that relates back to the game. And it's the same for the coaches as it is layers showing them how it relates back to the game and how it's going to improve their skill on the field is paramount in why you're doing it. And if you can't do that, you shouldn't be doing it. It's yeah. not like there's a lot of different agility drills and stuff you can do and not all of them relate back to the game. And so the athletes that we work with, we do keep it very focused on. These are the game scenarios 
And we're just going to mix up those variables. So they always know that it's relating back to football somehow. And they want to be really good football players. The coaches want to be really good. And so it, it shouldn't be too challenging in that you're showing them that it relates back to football. And then as far as the execution process on the field, having the staff all on the same page, having things set up, having things flow well is going to go really, really well. Cause if it's, you know, you got 10 different drills going on and it's just kind of a free for all out there, then it's going to seem to the outside person or that football coach that there's not a lot of work being done. It's just kind of a free for all. So being very organized and deliberate and how you execute it is, is very important as well. And then the last thing I would say that is very, very important when implementing this to get that buy-in from the coach and the players is to make it competitive. Yeah. And so what we've done this off season is having different leadership teams where we had a draft and everyone picks their, their team. And a lot of, a lot of programs do that, but we do grade something. We do score something every single day when it comes to agility or comes to sprinting or comes to jumping or something like that. And so when we're out on the field playing our small sided games or we're playing an agility drill, they are getting graded in that team one or that individual one, or they lost. And so there's a clear definitive winner and loser. And so I'll give you an example from today. We played a a team tag game, which if you look at the drill, it it honestly looks like a old like physical education drill that you might do back in elementary school or something where you're basically playing tag, but it's putting them in football situations and it's having them compete as a team against another team. And so there's a clear winner, a clear loser. And then we had tournament style where the winner moves on to play the winner and so on. And then at the end, we have the whole team around the last group and all the coaches are there and everyone's going crazy. And all they're doing is basically playing tag. So if, if you can get a hundred guys to start freaking out because their guys are going to win at tag. And then usually the coaches are going to buy in and, and enjoy that, that aspect for sure. Any competitive aspect you can, you can throw in there is going to be very helpful in, in gaining that trust. Yeah. That's awesome that you said that we did the very same thing today. We played a little game It's basically tag with the ball. Like you're razzled yeah. a little bit and yeah. uh, uh, king of the court. If you, if you lost, you're out. And by the mm-hmm. end of it, you had the entire team around super hyped and the biggest thing I've seen that translate to is we had eccentric Bulgarians downstairs afterwards and mm-hmm. their mindset going into that, they were still hyped up in the game. So everybody ran downstairs and was super yeah. hyped to hit these Bulgarians, which they all hate and complain yeah. about, but they're like, their mindset was so stoked because of the previous competition that we had them led through. Totally. And something that we've noticed with that too, and that we tried to implement, I was kind of talking about warm up stuff earlier, but in that potentiation part of the warm up, we always try and have an exploration type of movement. And a competitive aspect to it. And so it might just be like, we have literally a hundred different little competitive type of things that we do, but it might just be a single arm, single, single leg arm wrestle to pull the person across a line for within five seconds or a hand fighting drill or, um, some sort of competitive aspect just by doing that has created so much juice, so much energy in the weight room that it carries through the rest of the workout that people aren't just going through the motions of the same warm up every single day. They actually get to compete a little bit, have a little fun and get challenged a little bit and then go into more of the harder work part of a yeah, Bulgarian split squad or uh, a safety bar split squad or something like that, where most of the time that's not a lot of fun. You got a lot of weight on your back, but 
that energy that you've built up in that, that warm up does go a long way. Yeah. And I think that translates to something like, I think in the field, we probably need to do a much better job of understanding is that the athlete does not care about what we're doing in the weight room. They, they, they yeah. care about being a better athlete and what makes them usually a good athlete is they love the win. Like that's their addiction to the sure. sport. That's the addiction to playing the thing. So why don't we give them a little hit of that addiction, a little hit of that winning. So when sure. we, we can get what we want out of them. And we're still getting a lot of work in that competition itself, but that's where I think we have a lot of like, uh, sometimes meet head coaches that go in and yeah. like, I don't get why they don't like doing this. It's because yeah. they don't love the weight room. They love being on the field. And I found too, it, it marries really well with the uh, constraints led approach or ecological psychology stuff where put them in, in more of an open environment or open drill where, but by adding that competitive aspect, it just heightens the excitement. It heightens the buy-in so much more and, um, definitely a lot, a lot to be said there. Yeah. So with that kind of, how much, how much is this, like how many of these games and constraint led approach stuff is led by the athletes to where they're seeing something or feeling something in the game for you. And they're telling you like advice and you're changing games based off that is, do, do you have any of that with the athletes? Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the best coaching advices, I don't remember exactly where I got it from, but I picked it up, learned it from Reddit somewhere. Um, but one of the most useful coaching tools that I've found is asking questions and whether that be, let's say you're just trying to correct someone on RDL or something and asking them, where are they feeling that? How are they, what are they trying to do? Like asking them simple questions that allows them to kind of think about it and engage their brain into what they're doing. It goes a long way in them actually figuring out and it actually clicking with them instead of you deliberately telling them A, B, or C by them, by you asking them simple questions, it goes a long way. But then into the, on the field aspect of whether it be in a game or in a, in a training session by asking them, like, what were you thinking in that situation? Or what is a way that we can make this more specific to you? And an area that I have used that a lot is with the offensive lineman, kind of what we were talking about earlier is I'm not an offensive lineman. I never was or never will be. And they see things and experience things in a way different sense than I have ever experienced them. And so just continuing to ask them about how they would do that better or how they would actually make this more realistic, actually go, it goes a long way in improving those learning scenarios that you're putting them in. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Uh, that's, that's something that we did with, uh, he was actually an offensive lineman this morning. He was struggling with an RDL and it was getting to a point of, he had almost a mental barrier with RDLs and his whole thing was like, he just brought, I'm like, what, what were you feeling during that RDL? Like what, what's stopping you? And he's mm -hmm. like, well, I've just always, I've always sucked at RDLs. And that's where I was like, all right, so this kid has a mental barrier to this lift and he knows every single time going into it, he's either been yelled at or judged about yeah. that. So yeah. I love that. I love that you brought sure. that up because I think that that's, that's big. It opens it up and you're able to actually find out he, this is a super athletic offensive lineman. And what I was talking to him, like, if you can play football and pancake that dude and just move super well, and he was awesome in the agility yeah. games upstairs, like you can put your body in a position to RDL mm -hmm. like that, like the athleticism is not what's there for the RDL. So I thought that was pretty cool. Like figuring out that mental, it was a mental barrier for him. Yeah. And I think a big issue is to coaches. A lot of times want to have things very black and white and like, just deliberate, like telling someone exactly what to do every time. And if you're not doing that, you don't have that standard, then you're a soft coach or something like that. But it actually, you can still have very high standards for how you want things to be done, but going about it by asking those questions and by engaging the athlete in that process is just a lot more. It takes a little more time on the front end, but it sticks a lot better with that athlete. 
and allows them to actually understand what their body is doing and not just like trying to force something that they don't really understand what they're doing or why they're doing it is really important. Yeah, for sure. So with that, do you have anything, um, like a, a debrief with all your athletes at the end, anything like that, that could like be a little tip for other coaches that you do to try and create that conversation with them? I don't necessarily have a debrief at the end. What I try and do is it's my goal. Every time I'm in the weight room to talk or have a conversation with every single athlete. So if I'm working with the men's golf team and there's only 10 of them there, that's super easy, right? I'm going to have 10 conversations with all of them. Yeah. But when you're with football, that's hard. But by doing that every single day and opening up those lines of communications on a daily basis, it allows them to be very comfortable with you and they start coming to you with different things or looking for help in certain areas or stuff like that. So I'd say just that consistent going to them, reaching out and asking them a question, whether it be about the workout or about their class and continuing to build those open lines of communication on a daily basis is, is really key. Yeah. I think, I think that's awesome that you said that and how you said you were going to ask about class too. Cause I think that's another thing that's overlooked is a lot of times these athletes are, especially when they're on the field with the sports coaches is there's not a ton of time to talk about other things. So it feels like the coach is always just yelling at them and always trying right. to get something out of them. So if you're spending the time to build up that relationship a little bit, it, it in the long run for me, anyways, it has paid off tremendously of mm-hmm. taking that little step back and taking that little bit of time to learn about what triggers that person and what is making that person struggle in class or maybe in life and going forward from there has been awesome. For sure. For so sure. with, yeah. with that, um, kind of, how do you, we call it the other 22 hours here, but how have you kind of gone about treating the athletes other 22 hours? So they're with you for the two hours of the day where they're training. Um, and we talk about that. That's kind of the easy part. That's the fun part where they're with the coaches or with the team, but now they got to take care of their diet and their sleep and these type of things. Is there any key things that you guys have been doing to try and help with those other 22 hours? Some of the things that we've found helpful is having a five minute little presentation or topic a week where it might be on self-discipline. It might be on nutrition. It might be on sleep, but just not making it long because no one wants to sit there forever, but having a very, very quick, very concise and a reason why behind it, um, topic to cover in that area, just to educate them and can continuously educate them on other areas where they feel that they can go and make the right decisions or better decisions to improve themselves. Um, And outside of that, we do meet with them for nutrition as far as they can set up different times with us to go over what they're doing, what they can do better and providing them with resources on the nutrition side of things. Um, And then outside of that, just on a more of an individual basis, I guess, where they come to you and just realizing, allowing them to realize that you are a resource for them, that you're there to help them. So when they do have those questions to, to seek you out and to, um, look for you for that help. Yeah. That's awesome. Kind of giving them the tools and then showing them how to use the tools throughout their own day. Cause that's mm-hmm. like, you're, you're not, you're not going to be there all day. You can't babysit them throughout all mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So, so the last question in this kind of sports performance segment of the podcast is what has been the biggest change in your programming recently? Oh, I got you. All right. So biggest change that I've made probably over the last year in the weight room side of things is using the weight room as a benefit or as a tool to your agility, to your speed and to your on the field stuff. And one of the ways that I've done that is through 
any type of lateral movement. So a lateral push to move or shuffle a crossover step and movements like that, where in a traditional strength training program, even if you're doing split squats, even if you're doing a lot of different things, you're not training them very often in that lateral movement. And yeah, there aren't a lot of movements out there that overload that movement either. So you could do a lateral lunge with 40 pounds and do them all day and probably not improve your ability to cut and change direction at maximum velocity. So kind of the ways that we've started to improve that is through, uh, we use a couple different means, but doing push to moves and crossover steps with a lot of load. So whether it be with a sled or a cable machine or a band, and then doing different variables of that. So overloading it, developing the strength side of things, and then developing the deceleration or eccentric side of things in that lateral plane, and then developing the explosive dynamic side of things in that lateral plane. And just working with my soccer guys, my football guys, it's improved their ability to change direction like crazy. It's, it's super cool to see because we do talk a lot about the perception action agility and how useful that is and tying that whole system together of being intertwined with the environment, the task and your opponents and different things like that. But having that, that strength and that ability to decelerate and stop and reproduce force in all the different force vectors, if you can build that up in the weight room, and they have that strength or that dynamic ability. Once they're on the field, it's just a lot easier for them to integrate that perceptual cognitive aspect of it, where they just have a lot more solid foundation and your, the tissues can handle it and they're not limiting you and what kind of cuts you can make because they're able to decelerate and reproduce that force. Yeah. I love that. That, That's pretty sweet. Trying to almost create that holistic athlete. So again, like you said, even if they're able to perceive and process what they're seeing now, their body's able to do what it wants to do. Exactly. And either, I mean, you could argue either way, like the perceptual side is your limiting factor, the physical side, but you need to train both of them if you want to be the ultimate athlete and being finding ways to overload that in the weight room has been really, really, really beneficial for our athletes. I love that. All right. So let's transition to the rapid fire round. So these are just going to be rapid fire questions. If you have a longer answer, you can have a longer answer. I just probably won't dive as deep into uh, with it, with it, but let's start with the first one. So, uh, what are some of your favorite books that you think the listeners can get a lot out of? Yeah. Um, I like to read a a wide variety of different books, make sure you're getting all different genres to, um, expound upon that, that box that we were talking about earlier. But the three that I would say would be lead for God's sake as a leadership book, creativity Inc from a organizational book, and helping you to develop that system. Like we were talking about earlier, those key principles and, but leaving room in that system to grow and build upon. And then the, the govern governing dynamics of coaching by James Smith is another really, really good one. Um, I like that one. And that one has also helped just developing that framework of, of the hierarchy of allowing that game to be your guide. Yeah. I have a, uh, I've watched a bunch of his videos and I'm, I have like 50 pages left in the book. So it's, yeah. it's been a really good one. Awesome. So going on to the next one, uh, who's a guest that you think we should have on that you think the listeners can really get a lot out of? 
Um, I, I mean, there's so many people that you have on that are, are very, very good and very, very qualified and just have a depth of knowledge, but I got to give a shout out to coach Marco, uh, my director at Elon. Okay. He's, he's a great, great knowledgeable person, but I would say a topic that would be very interesting to talk to him about would be leadership and coaching and leadership with athletes and with a staff where it's crazy, but in sport coaching, how backwards the leadership styles are and how much that holds a team back from how coaches lead. And I think coach Marco does a very good job of giving us ownership of what we're doing, giving us autonomy. And it doesn't matter who's saying it, as long as it's a good idea, he's going to take it. So you could be an intern or you could be the athletic director. He doesn't care if it's a good idea, he's taking it and he's going with it. And that's not the case everywhere. And so I'd, I'd say that would be an interesting topic or a guest to have. I think that'd be awesome. I think that, um, in the governing dynamics of coaching, he talks about having that debrief where everybody, every single person that has an yep. aspect into the game can come in and just have their free knowledge mm-hmm. of what actually happened and trying to grow that way. So I think that's, sure. that's awesome. So, uh, what's kind of next for you in your career path and in life and what's like kind of the next thing that you're looking forward to? Yeah. Um, so right now I'm an assistant director at Elon. So career goal would be to be a director of football. Um, and we'll see, keep working on, on accomplishing that goal by just doing my best every single day and helping my, my athletes get better and, and God will take care of the rest. So I'm not too worried about it. For sure. So with that, uh, when you're on your deathbed and kind of every, all of this is gone and last few days, what do you kind of want your legacy to be when you leave this planet? No, I I love that question. I love thinking about that question and it's always a good reminder and a, a good motivation. But what I want my legacy to be is I want to make Jesus known by being a great husband, father, friend, and, and coach making a difference in the lives of everyone around me. And just being great in all aspects and and helping others get better is, is the main goal of um, being that positive light for sure. I love that. All right. And last question of the podcast, we're here. Yeah. So somebody comes to you, they're, they're kind of in a tough spot and maybe, maybe it's an athlete, maybe it's another coach that's really struggling at where they're at. Kind of what's your, would be your billboard message to kind of get them out of that Valley and that kind of dark spot that they're in to hopefully push forward. Yeah. And usually my approach to that kind of question is, not to seek a way to cover up those symptoms of what's going on in your life, but to seek really the the foundation, the root cause of what's going on and really seek out what your purpose is in life. And we were created to be much more than just uh, make people stronger, make money and retire. We were created with a, a specific purpose. And the, the more we can uncover that purpose, the more things are going to make a lot more sense and your true fulfillment in life is only going to come by uncovering and fulfilling that true potential and discovering where that comes from and just that truth. And so I would say, um, that would be very paramount to, to helping someone through something. No, I love that. That's uh, we kind of have very similar answers to the coaches that we've had on is talking about not trying to hide that point that you're at and kind of embracing why are you in that dark spot? So I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's a really good answer. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. That was an yeah. awesome conversation went re- by really quick. And I think hopefully the listeners really got a lot out of this and kind of the process of what you're doing and kind of the mindset and what got you to where you're at now. No, I appreciate you. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a lot of fun. Boom. Thank you for listening. Keep chopping wood.